0: So very thankful for our orchestra. I've said it before, but if you've got your harp on a willow, pull it out. We you say, "Well, there's no more room up here." Well, we got a front seat. We got a couple front seats. We'd love to have we'd love to have you join our orchestra. So long as your music is for the Lord and not for your own glory. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua, chapter 4. I suppose if you're going to preach on Thanksgiving, you ought to preach from the Psalms. But your pastor's honorary and doesn't just follow what you're supposed to do, I guess. Psalm, or, Psalms, yeah, Joshua, chapter 4. See, it should be Psalms, shouldn't it? appreciated the good songs this morning, appreciated the responsive reading. We don't do that probably enough. I appreciated uh, that time and in, in the Word. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I have to be honest, I am tempted to read the whole chapter, but some of you would fall over before I got done, and so we're, we're just going to read the first nine verses but you'll have to permit me to preach the whole chapter if we'll make that compromise. Um, now, some, I've had some preachers tell me that I should never do that. They said that God's word is more important than what I have to say, and uh, that's always true. Uh, but uh, I suppose that if you'll work with me this morning, we'll do our best to uh, accommodate everyone. Joshua chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man. And command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm twelve stones. And ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night." And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there unto this day. I'd like to speak to us by the help of the Lord this morning on stacking stones. Stacking stones. Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you that you come this morning. As unworthy as we are, you're here, and we thank you for it. We ask that you'd anoint these lips of clay one more time, that you'd be glorified and honored in it. In precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I brought with me some stones this morning. Now, I didn't have nice Jordan River stones, but I got some gravel, <laughs> and I'll have to do. I have a friend who who practices what she calls the spiritual discipline of stacking stones. Now, I have to admit to you, when I was growing up and going to church, um, spiritual disciplines were very limited. They were doing your devotions and fasting. If you prayed, read your Bible, and fasted, you had all the spiritual disciplines there were. Um, I've since learned otherwise. There's a lot of other spiritual disciplines, not maybe ones that we talk about very often. But one of my friends, uh, she is uh, a missionary to Nairobi, and she's a classmate of mine, and she practices this uh, spiritual discipline of stacking stones. And... uh, it's not just her. It's not just something that you know that she's crazy or anything. Um, there's others that do this. You can look online and so forth. And uh, what they do is, is they. My friend, she uh, has one in her office. Um, in her, uh, I think she has one in her room. But they say you take at least three stones. Let's see if I can do this without them falling over on me. That's not gonna. This, last, this one is really ornery. See? Not very good at it. I need to practice the discipline of stacking stones more often than I do. It's new to me. We'll get it later. But you take and you stack those stones, and each one of them is supposed to symbolize something that you're thankful for. And... Uh, you can have as many as you want. Of course, it's river stones that are flat are the best. Gravel is not what you want. But um, they symbolize, they represent something. Each one of those are something that, that they're thankful that God did for, the, for them. What's neat about it is they don't just do it in their room or their office, but when they go hiking or... Perhaps hunting, they're out in nature and they come across a place where there's some stones. They stack them up, and they make an ordinary place a holy place. Different ones have talked about how when they've been hiking or maybe walking along a creek and they they've seen a stack of stones, and how they realize that that was someone's altar. That they had stacked stones there and they have taken, they've added perhaps a stone to that pile of stacked stones. If you remember that in the Old Testament especially, there are several examples of stones being set up as altars. In fact, God commanded that any altars that were built for him would be made of stones that were not hewn. They were not supposed to be touched by man's tools. They were simply supposed to be the stones that were available to them and stacked to make an altar unto the Lord. In our text this morning, we have a story of God asking commanding Joshua to have a stack of stones set up as a memorial. And as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and, and I could not get this, this uh, image, this, this story out of my mind, I realized that God has called us all to stack some stones. Now, maybe not physical stones such as this, maybe not uh, maybe not a physical representation, although I really think that God would like us to have more tangible expressions of our worship we We have gotten to the place where we've made everything spiritual, uh, things that are in the spirit realm and not in the physical realm, and that has not been consistent with historical Christianity. Now, I know there have been some, uh, and I want to be careful here, but I don't want to criticize so much, but it has seemed like some have gone into idolatry with their physical representations. And yet, this morning, I would suggest that we may have swung the pendulum just too far. And we're awful close sometimes to Gnosticism, the way that everything becomes the spirit world and not physical. We serve a God who wants to inhabit a physical world as well. The Anglicans have their Anglican prayer beads and the Catholics have their rosaries. And I suppose that, that those things seem pretty foreign to us. I know they were to me until about a year ago when someone gave me my first Anglican prayer beads. I wish I would have brought them over uh, this morning. Um, they're just beads in a, in a circle. Three large beads uh, forming perhaps a cross um there's a cross at the end but i have found when i pray and i've and as as i'm just going from bead to bead as i'm thinking and praying about your name and just having something physical and tangible in my hand i suppose some of you are already starting to write me off this pastor's gone way wacky perhaps it means something a little more to me because my love language is touch. And maybe God has been speaking to me through my love language and maybe your love language is something else. But lately it seems that about the last year God has been leading me in a journey of a tangible relationship with Him. Things of touching and things that I can see and feel and hold. And so for me, it seems to make sense that God would say to Joshua as they are crossing the Jordan, get some stones. Get them from the center of the Jordan. Get something that's tangible, something that's real, something that, you can, that people can see and touch. Not an... Not an Idol, not something to worship. Don't worship the stones. Why do we need a stack of stones? And what does it have to do with thanksgiving? Well, the first thing I, I truly believe is that it helps us to remember what God has done for us. What he has done for us. You see, a long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago, God had promised Abraham, their father, that he would give them this land. He'd walked up and down it. He had had really no ownership of any land except for the place where he buried his wife. And God said, all of this will be yours. Promise was to the son and then the grandson, Jacob. But you know, an Israelite, as far as we know, had not stepped foot in the promised land since the time that Jacob moved his whole family to be under the protection of Joseph in Egypt. That's a long time. And here, God was giving them this land a land flowing with milk and honey. And I just wonder this this morning as as we think about Thanksgiving, what are the things that God has given us? What has God given us that we ought to be able to recognize that God has kept his promises. God has kept his promises. I wish everyone was here Wednesday night. I appreciated the testimonies of God meeting material needs. A testimony of a furnace that was, hands were laid on and it was healed. A testimony of a dad who knows how to do some plumbing work. God knows how to meet our material needs this morning. I was reminded as they were testifying about my wife and I in our first year of marriage. The car was acting crazy. The transmission was going. We were still both in Bible college. I had two school bills, rent, heat, and all those other things that real life was hitting me hard with. And now the transmission's going to go on our car. And I was driving about 45 minutes or, to an hour each way to work. And we were, we'd helped to start a church. We were on our way home from church that Sunday night. And the, we kept having to pull over the side of the road. I'd pray, Lord, help us to just get home. We didn't have AAA, we didn't have anything. We'd get it started, get down the road, and the transmission would start acting stupid again. And I remember just praying, asking God to do something about it. We finally got it home. Woke up the next morning and I called the transmission place. They said, bring it over, we'll look at it. And I knew no matter what they said, it was going to be way too much for what we had. Do you know that thing didn't act up the whole way to the transmission shop? I got there, the guy came out, I I said, I said, I don't want to waste your time. I said, this thing has not, it's not given me any problems at all, all the way here. It was awful trouble. I think we pulled over four times trying to get home from church. He said, I'll drive it, look at it. He comes back, he goes, this transmission could not be in better shape. (laughs) And as long as we own that car, we never had to do anything with that transmission, There's a stone, maybe not a physical stone such as this, but there's a stone in my memory of when God saw where we were financially and knew that we couldn't afford a new transmission and we certainly couldn't afford a new car. There's a stone in my memory of material needs. It was that winter, actually, that I was out calling you know, for some reason, uh, trying to start a church, it doesn't pay very well. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. They, 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 for whatever reason, it just, it's not a lucrative job. We were also uh, working part-time at UPS, loading, loading trucks. But uh, I was out calling one Saturday, and it was right after Christmas. And I, I remember I had, I had, for my coat, the zipper was broken. It was hanging wide open. It was bad shape. And I was out calling. And, the, and would you know we were out calling in the ritzy part of town that day? <laughs> and uh, we rang at the doorbell, and the lady came to the door. And, and of course, I was inviting her to church. I'd, I'd been to her house before. And she said, You come on in here. It's too cold to be standing out there. Well, that was good news. And she said, Is that the warmest coat you have? I said, I was very embarrassed. It's like, yeah, it really is. She goes, You know what? She goes, I bought my son a brand new coat for Christmas. He does not like it. He, in fact, so uh he said she says, I, I got it, I got it, I have it in the it's in the dryer right now. If, if you'll wait here and chat with me for a little while, when it gets dry, I'll, I'll see if you like it and if you can have it. She pulls out this coat. If I had unlimited funds, that was the coat I would have picked for my winter coat. It was a name brand that, was, that I liked. It was the right color. And I, if, you still, if you see me in a winter coat, that tan one, uh, that's the one. 15 years later, I'm still wearing that coat. It was a great, great deal. You can't beat free, but God knew. God knew I needed a winter coat. God knew that I needed something that I didn't have the funds for, and it's a stone that's stacked in my memory. We were pastoring a little church and that that really couldn't afford to have a pastor, and we were we were struggling through and. God is helping us, but I was out calling. Again, this person wasn't saved. This person didn't go to church. They said to me, he was a farmer. He says, uh, he says, do you like meat? I said, yeah, I like meat. He took me out to his garage. He had, I don't know, five freezers full of meat from butchering. He got out one of those big 50-pound grain sacks, and he just loaded that thing full of meat and said, here, take some meat home with you. It's a stone in my memory. Stacked upon stack. I could tell I could tell story after story. Stories even even in this week about praying over a need and God supplying what we have need of. And I suppose if we take the time, every single one of us could talk about the stones. The stones that God has provided our material needs over and over and over again. God had supplied manna and God had supplied uh, 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 the meat, and God had supplied uh, protection and God had allowed their clothes not to wear out and their sandals not to wear out. But that, that was good for then, but now that God was giving them the, what he had promised, a land full of milk and honey. And this morning I want you to know if there's some things that you're praying about, you've got some needs, I want you to know that, that there are a host of stones stacked up with uh, uh, memories of times that God has met the need and come through for his people. And if you could see the stack of stones in Israel today, I don't know if it's there, still there, but if that stack is there, it would be a testimony that God meets the needs of His children. He meets our needs. But I, I thought also this, this morning, as I pondered the story and what it represented I realize that, it, that God changes our direction. You know, the, the children of Israel, they camp there at Gilgal. Now, one of the great things about being a Bible uh, st- studier is that we get to find out what these things mean. You know, it's, a lot of times you just read through the Bible and you just, oh, Gilgal, all right, and whatever. Gilgal means God has rolled away our reproach. You see, for 40 years, the children of Israel have wandered around the wilderness because they couldn't stop sinning. They they couldn't be thankful. In fact, they didn't practice thankfulness. They kept complaining and whining and fussing. For 40 years, they had to wander around because they, when God didn't come through uh, and, and show up, when they wanted him to show up, they went and built an, an idol for themselves. And God said, you know what? Enough's enough. You're not going to see the promised land. The ch- your children will. I'm going to keep my promise, but you all aren't. And those kids, now they're adults, they've replaced that generation. And the promise that their, kid, that their parents had told them all about, they're about to experience a change of direction. They've been wandering around in circles in the wilderness for a long time. And now God says, you know what? We're going to roll the reproach away. This is a new generation. You're gonna, we're going to give you new life, new hope. And we're going to take you into the promised land. I wonder this, this morning if, if you can remember the stones that you've stacked in your memory of when God has changed your direction. When God has found you where you are in your unworthiness and said, You know what? why don't we go a different way? as we heard last year when we first came and we asked you to give your life story how many times that God pull, uh, had to pull you out of your mess that you made, and some of us some of us were blessed to have Spiritual homes, and you became a Christian at a young age, and then others of us didn't have that, and some of us made lots of starts and lots of failures. And maybe we look at those pile of stones and we think, you know, what a what a shame! What a shame for that that I didn't trust God the first time. It's, what a shame that it, that I had I have a pile of these stones of of when God had to get a hold of me again and again and again. Folks, these are, these are monuments to God's grace. They're monuments to God's grace. I'm not saying we should be proud of our failures. I'm not saying that we should, that we should glory in the fact that, that it took us uh, 2,000 times to get it right or however many time, chances you got but we should glory in the fact that we serve a God who doesn't keep record of how many times He's forgiven us and says, I'm sorry you've exceeded the maximum allotment of forgiveness. The pile of stones that that you have and I have this morning, that that our testimony that God looks down at, at us and He sees our faults and He sees our failures and He loves us anyways... Stones of when God sanctified us and took out the carnal nature and gave us perfect love in our hearts. Changed our attitudes. And our family could, for the first time, live with us without having to step on eggshells because of the hot temper or because it held on to grudges for years. Or whatever your carnal trait that, that hurts your relationships. We have stones that pile up as testimony that God sanctifies hearts still. And while other denominations can, can, uh, are, are walking away from that. A Wesleyan pastor just told me, he said, it's still in our books, but I don't preach it because I can't live it. I want to tell you this morning, they can kick down the pile of stones that were set by John and Charles Wesley and Phineas Burzee and Phoebe Palmer, William Booth, Samuel, Logan, Bringle, they can kick down the pile of stones, but folks, they cannot destroy the message of holiness. They can forget it. They don't have to live it. They don't have to preach it. But as long as I live, I want to add my stone to the pile that God changes directions and God sanctifies. But I think about those times of recommitment and maybe those times when God's gotten a hold of us and said, son, daughter, you know, you've gotten too busy for me. You're awful busy and, and you're, neglecting, you're neglecting your quiet time. Or maybe... Maybe you had an addiction that God has given you deliverance from. Maybe the easy way or the hard way. But regardless, God has helped you to overcome. There's stones in our pile this morning of the spiritual victories that God gives us. God has rolled away our reproach. Why did they build... Why did they build a pile of stones? Why did they stack stones? Why am, why am I preaching this at Thanksgiving time? It's not just about things to be thankful for. I, I, I think that all of us could have easily, if I, if I would have just uh, ha- taken time for us to, to say what we're thankful for, and we'll probably do a lot of that Tuesday night, But it isn't just about saying that we're thankful. In fact, twice in this chapter, God makes it clear why it's important for us to stack stones. Because the next generation is going to come along and they're going to be curious. What's the meaning of these stones? Why did you stack stones here? And twice in this passage, God says that you'll tell them what God has done for you. Thanksgiving is a time when we get together with family. And all of us, I suppose, have family that doesn't know the Lord. Perhaps they've walked away. Perhaps they've, maybe they've never been saved I don't know. But as we sit together and we eat turkey and stuffing and pumpkin pie and all those other goodies, there'll be an opportunity probably. Most families have this tradition that they go around and say what they're thankful for. And you know, it's the one time of the year that the sinners ask the Christians for a testimony. It's the one time of the year where where we get the opportunity to, without preaching, without without condemning, just saying I want you to know what God has done for me this year. You see, Sinners can be thankful, but they don't know to whom they're thankful. We do. We do. And in their presence, we get a chance to stack stones. In their presence, they get to hear not a sermon, not a word of condemnation, But they get to hear a testimony of God's goodness, the joy and the peace. I don't know whether the practice, spiritual discipline of stocking stones will become a part of my spiritual journey or not. I almost wonder if it will. But I want to leave behind for my children and my future grandkids and great-grandkids. I want to leave behind a pile of stacked stones that point to a great God. And the children of Israel, they would falter and they would fail over and over and over again. And God was merciful to them. I want to leave something that points the next generation back to the God who loves and cares for them. And whether it's a pile of stones, whether it's a solid testimony, or whether it's just a life that loves and was well lived, but whatever it is, I don't want it to be a monument to myself, but I want it to be a monument to a God who has led us all the way. Amen. And Thanksgiving gives us an opportunity with our families to stack some stones. Let's stand together. Amen. Rocky, would you dismiss us in prayer? Build a monument, Lord, to you. Leave a legacy, Lord, to those that follow after. Lord, we ask that you go with us through this day and bring us all back to